You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for bringing each of us back here again today. Um, Just be with us throughout our day. Help us, especially in this meeting, give me the right words to say and um, help us to learn something and to draw closer to you. We love you. Amen. All right. Good morning. I think I always put prayer in my slides because sometimes I get nervous and I forget. <laughs> and when I was teaching, um, I I would do that sometimes in class too. I would forget to start the day with prayer, and I had a student who would always say, "Mrs. Clayton, we didn't pray." I was always thankful for that because sometimes I would just be you know, going a million miles an hour, and I forget. So I put it in my slides as a visual reminder for myself. And I actually, on um, in the windowsill in front of my kitchen sink, I have a brick that says pray on it um, as, a, as a visual reminder for myself to remember to pray. Um, my first year of teaching, I showed up at, I was at Riverview Memorial School in Maine, and it was their 100th year. Um, so they were having a special celebration. And one of the teachers who had taught there several years ago showed up. And he had actually been one of my teachers here in Michigan for a time, too. Um, so it was kind of neat because I was teaching in his old classroom. And he's the one who gave me that brick. And so I've, I've kept it with me. And I keep it, keep it on my windowsill as a good reminder to, to pray. So kind of a side note. But... Um, I've introduced myself. I think most of you have all been here all week. So let's jump right in. Our questions today, I know we started with one question, now now we're up to three. (laughs) Um, But why is it important to get my kids outside? What can I do to facilitate a desire to learn and play outside? And how do I teach them to connect to their creator outdoors? So those are the three things that we're going to talk about today. So for the first one, why is it important to get my kids outdoors? So we're not going to like dig really deep into this because there's a lot of research. And if you're really interested, I'll mention some resources that you can um, go look at more. But I just want to say there are academic benefits that it boosts academic achievement. There's physical benefits. It benefits your emotional well-being, creativity, and spirituality. And this isn't just for your kids. This is for adults, too. Um, I, I wanted to share this poem because I like it. Um, so I'll just read it. It says, They caught the wild children and put them in zoos. They made them do sums and wear sensible shoes. They put them to bed at the wrong time of day and made them sit still when they wanted to play. They scrubbed them with soap and they made them eat peas. They made them behave and say pardon and please. They took all their wisdom and wildness away. That's why there are none in the forests today. Now, obviously, I make my children eat peas. Although when they grow their own peas, they're happy to eat them. My kids call them green candy because fresh food tastes a lot better. Um, I do expect my children to behave and say pardon and please and have manners. But I have to tell you, When you allow your children to run wild when they can, 
they do sit when you need them to sit. And they behave so much better when you need them to behave because they get that energy out. And so I, even though I don't agree with all the things in this poem, I love it because it's sweet and it's fun. And it's just like, I want my children to have that wild wisdom. Um, so there's been a growing amount of research on the importance of time outside. Um, and there is a new disorder that's being documented called nature deficit disorder. Uh, this is a term coined by Richard Louvre, and if you've studied outdoor education at all, you're probably familiar with him. Um, but he describes the human costs of alienation from nature. Among them are diminished use of the senses, attention difficulties, and a higher rate of physical and emotional illnesses. And this disorder can be detected in individuals, in families, and in communities. Um, so Richard Louvre has written several books about how much less time our children have been spending in nature and the effect that this is having on society as a whole. Um, the books are loaded with some quite shocking statistics about time outdoors and how it's affecting our children academically and physically and mentally, emotionally. Um, and so if you're interested, The Last Child in the Woods is the book that really presents a lot of those statistics and facts and information. Um, and then he writes The Nature Principle, which is kind of a follow-up to The Last Child in the Woods. And in the nature principle is really more of a call to action. Like, what can we do as parents and as a community, as a society, to help fix this problem? And then vitamin N is kind of, they're not really a series, but they seem to build on each other. Vitamin N is full of practical, like, how to get your kids outside, different activities that you can do. It has some safety things in it. Um, so those are all great books to read if you're interested in those kinds of things. Um, if you've ever been to Camp Asable, this quote is hanging up outside the Nature Center, um, but I like it. It says, the old Lakota was wise. He knew that man's heart away from nature becomes hard. He knew that lack of respect for growing, living things soon led to lack of respect for humans, too. And I think that quote speaks for itself. Um, just a little bit more research, and then we'll get into more fun things. This is an article. This is from an article in the National Library of Medicine in 2000. It says, green space exposure typically brings with it exposure to components of nature, including biodiverse environmental microbiomes. Fight. I googled this word to pronounce it. And found three different <laughs> three different pronunciations. Phytoncides, negative air ions sunlight, and the sights and sounds of nature itself. There is growing evidence of the benefits of exposure to green spaces via these components for human health outcomes, including lower blood pressure, lower cortisol levels, improved diabetes, reduced all-cause mortality, and fewer adverse birth outcomes. These benefits may be enhanced with exposure to more biodiverse green spaces with several proposed mechanisms. So that's a lot of scientific language, but let me break it down a little bit. Microbiomes are the microorganisms of a particular environment, and we rely on microbes to stay alive. They protect us against germs, they help us break down food, and they help us produce the vitamins that we need. 
a lot of our gut health and our mental health relies on a healthy microbiome. And part of the way we get that is spending time outside in nature and getting exposure to different microbiomes. Phytoncides are chemicals in plants that have antifungal and antibacterial qualities that help plants fight diseases. But they also give off these, these chemicals. And when we breathe them in, our bodies increase the activity and number of white blood cells, which boosts our immune system. And then negative air ions are molecules floating in the atmosphere that have been charged with electricity. And they help to clear the air of allergens, bacteria, and viruses. So basically, nature is really healthy for you, mentally and physically, and we're going to talk about today spiritually. So I believe that, like we talked about yesterday, educating the whole person, that nature is a very important part of that. Um, this quote is from Ginny Urich. She's the founder of the Thousand Hours Outside movement. And if you have kids of any age, check out their website. It's a thousand hours outside. Um, and there's Facebook groups. And it's just, it's a very large and growing community of parents who have decided to prioritize outdoor time for their children and committed to spend a thousand hours a year outside. Um, that number seems random, but it's based on the fact that several years ago, pre-pandemic, American children were spending more than three hours a day in front of screens. And it was trying to counteract that by spending three or more hours a day outside instead. And so that's where the thousand hours comes from. Um, they actually provide an activity like a tracker so you can log your hours. Um, when my kids were really young, and sometimes when you have very small children, it's harder to be motivated to go outside especially when you live in northern Michigan and it's 10 degrees for weeks at a time. Um, but that chart really helped me to be motivated to be intentional about going outside every day, even if with small ones it was only for half an hour or an hour. I was like, well, we have to check some more time off of our checklist. We don't use it anymore because we exceed the thousand hours easily. And because to me it's another, it's another thing I don't want to manage. But for a time it was a great tool to help me be intentional about making sure we got outside. Um, but this quote is from, from the Thousand Hours Outside website. It says, among the many other reasons nature affects memory by sending your body into a relaxation response. The book Brain Longevity has a further information about this. The relaxin, re, sorry, the relaxation response is opposite of the stress response. When you head into nature, your brain can turn off because the environment around you is inherently interesting. There is no effort required to pay attention when you are in nature, unlike the effort that is required when poring over a new text, a new concept, or a new passage. There are many, different, there are many benefits of landing in the relaxation zone. You will experience a decrease in blood pressure, a decrease in cortisol output, heightened immunity, a decrease in muscle tension, and an increase in alertness. The blood flow to your, to your brain will increase by an impressive 25%. In a long-term sense, if the relaxation response happens regularly, your body will be much less vulnerable to the stress response to begin with, even when you are not outside. 
So let's talk about stress for a minute. All of us adults are very familiar with stress, but so are our children. And, and more increasingly, our children are stressed. They're under more and more pressure to perform, and their stress is building. We have standardized testing. They have regular tests in school. They're doing too many sports, too many, too many responsibilities. There's too much going on, and our children are not allowed enough time to simply be children. And then we introduce technology and the ever-present social media, um, and we allow school, friend troubles, uh, drama to follow our children into their homes and into their bedrooms, and there's no escaping it. Our children, our teens, are as stressed and sometimes more stressed than adults. Just look at the rates of childhood depression and anxiety in our country and how dramatically they have increased over the last 20 years. Our children are under enormous pressure and we are stressing them out. So what can we do? We can schedule blocks of free time for them to spend in nature. Because, like we just read, nature helps to decrease their cortisol levels. And it helps, um, it just helps them to be outside, especially in unstructured free time. So Angela Hoscomb is a pediatric occupational therapist. She's the author of a book, Balanced and Barefoot, which is another great book to read. Um, and she's the founder of Timbernook, which is a program designed to help kids connect um, to nature. But she talks about how, like the thousand hours outside, kids should spend at least three hours of free play outdoors a day. Um, so we see a lot of modern science. The, the psychologists and the scientists are saying, get your kids outside. Occupational therapists are saying it because our kids aren't coordinated like they should be. Um, but long before all of that, Ellen White talked about how important nature time was. In Christ's Object Lessons, on page 24, she says, In these lessons direct from nature, there is a simplicity and purity that makes them of highest value. All need the teaching to be derived from this source. In itself, the beauty of nature leads the soul away from sin and worldly attractions and toward purity, peace, and God. Too often, the minds of students are occupied with men's theories and speculations, falsely called science and philosophy. They need to be brought into close contact with nature. Let them learn that creation and Christianity have one God. Let them be taught to see the harmony of the natural with the spiritual. Let everything which their eyes see or their hands handle be made a lesson in character building. Thus, the mental powers will be strengthened the character developed, and the whole life ennobled. And even before Ellen White, Scripture tells us that creation teaches us about the Creator. Psalms 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. And Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, 
being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. I just added this one in this morning. Oh, not this one. Child Guidance, page 50, says his, Jesus, education was gained from heaven, appointed sources from useful work, from the study of scriptures, from life, and from the experiences of life. God's lesson book, full of instructions to all who would, to all who bring them to the willing hand, the seeing eye and the understanding heart. His intimate acquaintance with scripture shows how diligently his early years were given to the study of God's word, and spread out before him were the great library of God's created works. He who had made all things studied the lessons which his own hand had written in earth and sea and sky. Apart from the unholy ways of the world, he gathered stores of scientific knowledge from nature. He studied the life of plants and animals and the life of man. From his earliest years, he was possessed of one, he was possessed of one purpose. He lived to bless others. For this, for this he found resource in nature. New ideas of ways and means flashed into his mind as he studied plant and animal life. So even Jesus, in his early years, he spent time in nature, learning from nature. So now we have the question, what can I do to facilitate a desire to learn and play outside? Because we all, and even I, have to force my children outside sometimes. Um, I have been known to put them outside and lock the door. And I, I'm not sounding mean, within five minutes they're thrilled and loving it. But sometimes, just like, I don't know if any of you are runners, used to be a very active runner, and that, like, getting on your tennis shoes and those first three steps out your door are sometimes the hardest thing. And then as soon as you're moving, you're like, oh, yeah, this is why I do this. I enjoy this. Um, it's the same with your kids. And sometimes there is a battle to go outside, and sometimes I have to say, I know it's raining, but you are not going to melt. Put on your raincoat and go outside. Or I know it's cold, but a half an hour and you can come inside and have hot chocolate, get dressed and go outside. Um, sometimes we have to force it, all of us. Sometimes I have to force myself to go out with them because I want to stay inside where it's warm and comfortable and dry. But we also want to talk about how to make them want to do it because we don't want it to always be a battle. And it's not always a battle. Um, but I think we know intuitively that our children need time in nature and that we need time in nature, but we don't always know how to make that happen. So that's what I want to talk about. How can we encourage our children to spend time in nature? Um, so this is Charlotte Mason. Charlotte Mason was a British edic educator who spent her life working to improve education for children. Many homeschoolers are probably familiar with her because there's a homeschooling method called the Charlotte Mason approach. Um, but she said, in the first place, do not send them, if possible. Take them. For although the children should be left much to themselves, there is a great deal to be done and a great deal to be prevented during those long hours in the open air. And long hours they should be, not two, but four, five, or six hours they should have on every tolerably fine day from April to October. Um, I think the point here is don't just shoo them out the door. Go with them. It's just as good for you as it is for them. Sometimes we have things we have to do in the house. I understand that. Um, but, but go with them. Half the time, 
If you have young ones, you play with them for five or ten minutes, and they don't want to play with you anymore anyways. And then you can read a book or work on your gardening project or go for a walk, um, but go with them. It's, it's, remember, caught and taught. Character is caught and taught. A love for nature and a love for outdoors is caught and taught. All right, how to get kids to enjoy outside time. Find a like-minded community. Find other parents with children your kid's age who also want to be outside and go for hikes together. Find things to do outside together. When you have kids, especially when you have teenagers, find friends. It's a lot more motivating. Even with five-year-olds, it's more motivating when they're outside with friends. Be intentional about making time for outdoor activities, both structured and unstructured. We really prioritize our outdoor time. I, we talked about priorities yesterday. This is very, very, very high on my list. We have family worship, and then we have outdoor time, family time. Those are our top three things. And then all of the other things come after that. Look for the nature around you. Some of us don't live in a place where you can shoo your kids outside because the closest neighbor is a mile away and it doesn't matter. But even in the city, there are there is nature around you, so you might have to be creative. But look around. Find what is there and what can you learn from it. Become a weather warrior. This one is controversial. Bad weather is not an excuse to stay inside. We can go outside in the rain. You won't melt, I promise. That's what I tell my kids. Um, just dress for it. And obviously, you know, if there's a thunderstorm, you may not want to be outside. Um, there's safety things that go with that. If it's very cold, single digits, you know, limit, especially with young kids, the amount of time that they spend outside. Um, but go outside. Anyways, parents, you too. Being outside in all kinds of weather teaches your children resilience, and it teaches them not to just sit around waiting for the sunny days, because sometimes the sunny days don't happen for a very long time. And there's a life lesson in that, too. Allow your children to lead. Let them choose the activities you're doing. doesn't always have to be what mom and dad want to do. What do the kids want to do outside? And when you have little ones, take the time to let them turn over every rock. Sometimes. Sometimes you just have to get somewhere. But sometimes, you know, it can take you an hour to walk from here to the back of the church, and that's okay, too. Um, and then nature journals. My kids have nature journals, and they love it, and they get to be creative, and they don't write yet, obviously, but they draw pictures, and they color, and they tape leaves and sticks and live ants <laughs> into their nature journals, and they think it's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> but they're learning, and the journaling becomes a very valuable learning tool later on when you're homeschooling and looking for ways to, to make it more intentional, the education. So tips for success, proper clothing. Tomorrow my husband's going to be here helping me, and we're going to talk a lot about really practical things for getting outside. He's going to talk some about what's in our first aid kit when we go hiking and we go on different adventures. Um, we'll talk more about what proper clothing for different types of weather looks like. Um, but yes, um, if you have the ability, create spaces for them outdoors. Do your kids have places to play at home? Um, 
my kids have a swing, like one of those big round ones, and they spend hours on it. They also, we leave their hammocks hung up all summer, and they are in and out of their hammocks 50 times a day. Um, they built a teepee out of, like, wood that they found in the, in the woods, um, and they love that kind of stuff. So allow your kids, help your kids create places to play around your home. Um, go on adventures as a family. We'll talk a lot about that tomorrow. Um, give them freedom and give them space. We live in a helicopter parent society, and we do not allow our children the freedom to climb trees. Or, and, and sometimes they're going to fall. My three-year-old, Noah, who's been here most of the week, um, fell from a tree this high last week. He's okay. Sometimes they're going to maybe break bones, and, and that's sad, and we don't want that to happen. But I will tell you, your kids get hurt less when they learn to explore. They learn what their bodies are capable of, and then they know not to climb too high. My, they self-regulate because they know what it feels like to fall, and they don't want to fall. And so they've learned by falling from two, three, or four feet, my children don't climb more than 10 feet up in a tree, which is still high, but they know better. They know what branches not to climb on because they've learned what branches break. As your kids are allowed freedom to do things, they figure out what's safe and what's not on their own, and you don't have to manage them. Um, the other thing that I've done with my children is I never help them up something and I don't help them down. I will stand underneath them and spot them if I think it's like a dangerous place that they got themselves to and I don't want them to fall, but I won't help them. I make them do it because that's how they're learning their limits. I don't want them to climb places that they can't get to safely and that they can't safely get down from. And so when they get up in a point, they're like, Mommy, help me, I'm stuck. I stand underneath them and I say, I'm right here and I will catch you if you fall but you got up, so you need to get down. But give your kids the freedom to climb high or whatever the adventure is. But, you know, also make sure that you're being a safety net so that they don't get too seriously hurt. Sometimes you have to force going outside. We talked about that already. Remove distractions. Electronics is what I'm talking about. Um, there's a lot of creative ways that you can do this. My kids don't have electronics. They're young, so that's easy. Um, but they're not allowed to watch TV unless it's, like, super bad weather or mom's sick or occasionally, like, there's obviously special occasions besides our once-a-week family night where we watch nature documentaries. Um, but if your kids have electronics, make them earn it then. So you can have 20 minutes on your iPad or whatever it is after you spend 20 minutes outside or whatever works for you, but make them earn their electronics with outside time. Um, if you're hiking or going out on adventures, lots and lots of snacks. I don't let my kids eat snacks most of the time, like on a day-to-day -day basis, because then they don't eat their meals. But when we're trying to go somewhere and have a fun adventure, Having full bellies makes for much happier hikers. Um, so we do lots of snacks and good meals and lots of water. Kids don't just drink water. You have to force it. Drink some water today. Drink some water right now. Every, every hour. Okay, stop. Take a drink. Also, hydration packs are great for kids because then they drink lots of water. Like, 
have to go to the bathroom every 10 minutes drinking water because they like it and they think it's fun and they have a little straw to their pack on their back and they love it. Um, eat meals outside. If it's nice weather, we take, I have, I keep a couple of trays in my kitchen and we carry our food outside and eat at the picnic table because it, we have to eat anyways. We're all going to sit down and eat. We might as well do it outside. And then again, give them ownership. Anytime you can let your children make decisions for themselves, life runs smoother. They're happier, and if they're happier, we're happier. Um, these are some, I, I read a lot. I read broadly. I read lots of books. These are some that I have enjoyed. Um, you can see some of Richard Louv's books up there and Balanced and Barefoot. Um, Wild and Free, they have a website. They have a lot of really beautiful, like well-put-together nature curriculums. My children, my kids and I are right now taking a class from them called The Young Naturalist. And every, it takes us much more than a week to get through each lesson, but every session is about a different outdoor thing. So like the last one we did was bees. And we drew, there's a class on how to draw honeybees. And so in their nature journals, we did watercolor honeybees. And then we learned about what kinds of flowers the bees like, and we planted a pollinator garden. And we learned about bee waterers, and we made bee waterers. And then um, my oldest had the wonderful idea to catch a bee in his little, like, bug house. And I told him, if you try to catch that bee, you will probably get stung. Oh, that's okay, Mom. I just want to look at him. So he caught it. It was a bumblebee, so they're, you know, pretty calm. He caught it, and he didn't get stung. And then the next day, he decided to do it again, and he did get stung. And then, Mom, it stung me. Well, we learned another lesson. And I knew my son wasn't allergic to bees. <laughs> um, so I was comfortable letting him learn naturally. That's also something to consider, is if you have children with allergies, make sure you have an EpiPen. Um, anyways, Balanced and Barefoot was a good one. A Hundred Days of Adventure and play the forest school way, those are just full of lots of ideas of things that you can do outside with your children. And then there's no such thing as bad weather. This was written by a Scandinavian woman. Um, in a lot of those countries, Scandinavia, Denmark, they are very big on outdoor education and outdoor learning. And their children, they actually bundle their kids, their infants, up even in the winter to take naps outside. Um, because they believe so much in the, the air, the fresh air, and how much it improves um, their children's health. But she talks a lot about going outside no matter what the weather is like. Okay, so how do I teach my children to connect to their creator outdoors? Because this is what it's all about, right? This is why we have creation and nature is because God gave it to us so that we could learn about him. Um, and some of it comes very naturally. Sometimes we just look and, and we can feel God's presence, or we can easily see. But I also want to say that it's a learned skill to be able to find the object lessons in nature. And I, I know this personally. Um, I've already mentioned that I work for the Adventist Agriculture Association. So I've spent the last two years developing a gardening curriculum for our Adventist schools. I have a booth if you're interested. Come visit. Um, but anyways, part of that means writing a spiritual or a Bible lesson for every science lesson in the curriculum. 
And I struggled with some of them. Some of the concepts, like, like compost. I was like, how do I write a spiritual lesson about compost? Um, but when you practice it, and when I did, because I had to write 60 of them, um, it just comes more and more easily. And I find that now, because I did so much of it, um, they flow very quickly and very easily. And that's something that you can learn, and that's something that you should teach to your children. Because if we are able to see and learn about God from all of the things around us, from the nature around us, we're never feeling alone. Because we can see and feel the presence of God around us through the things that he has created. Um, God created earth as a place for us to live, for us to enjoy, and as one of the ways that he reveals himself to us. And even though nature has been marred by sin, we can still see glimpses of God and learn some of the lessons that he has intended for us to learn. So teach your children to find God in nature, to connect the things that they see around themselves to his promises and to his watch care. So we're going to go through a bunch of slides, and I'm going to show you what I'm talking about And then I'm going to have you practice it, just like I talked about, gradual release of responsibility. We model, we do it together, and then we do it independently. So here we go. First one, the sunrise. Every morning I wake up and I see the sunrise. And I think, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Psalms 143.8. Or the mountains, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Psalms 121, 1 and 2. So you see here, I'm tying the things I see in nature to Scripture and to promises that we're reading in Scripture. Lilies, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin, Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Matthew six twenty-eight and 29. Trees. This one's my favorite. It's a little long and a little roundabout. But the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Isaiah 61, 1-3. Or stones, From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Psalm 61, 2. So teach yourself and your children to connect Bible verses to physical things that you see in nature. Because now I can't see a sunrise and not think of that verse. Let the morning bring me news of your unfailing love. I don't see big stones and not think about this, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And if we can learn to tie those scriptures to things that we physically see in nature, 
One, we remember the scriptures a lot better. It doesn't have to be word for word, but if you remember the gist of the scripture and you have those visible, tangible things that help you remember and help you connect, suddenly worship isn't just something that you do for five or ten minutes in the morning or ten or twenty minutes at night. It's something that is built into your day. And, and it, it's life-changing. What about fish? Here we go. Here's one that's tied to a story. In Matthew chapter 14, we see Jesus feeding the 5,000 with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. A fish can remind me that Jesus works miracles, that he takes the little that we bring and he makes much of it. These are the things we want to teach our kids. Let our kids know every time they see a fish or every time they go fishing, like, Jesus can take this little thing and turn it into something that does something amazing. So here's your turn. We're just going to take a minute. Um, how much time? Okay. Um, and think about what, is there a scripture that you know of that you could tie to cloud? Or is there a promise? Or what does a cloud make you think about God? Mm-hmm. That'd be hard. Yeah. So we had, um, I put my bow in the clouds and the heavens declare the glory of God. Very good. It's okay. I got it, you. All right. Those are both very good. Some of the ones that I came up with was by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way by night in a pillar of fire to guide them so that they could travel by day or night, Exodus 13, 21. Or look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Revelation 1, 7. So when we see the Israelites traveling through the desert, God's presence was guiding them in a cloud out of Egypt and into the promised land. And when he comes again, to take us out of Egypt and into the promised land, he's coming on a cloud. So when I see a cloud, I can think about God's presence and how he's coming soon to take us home too. So how do you come up with these things? It's learned. And we'll talk more about that in a second. Um, Ellen White in Education, page 99 and 100. I have two slides of quotes because I couldn't choose just a few sentences. <laughs> um, she says, Upon all created things is seen the impress of the deity. Nature testifies of God. The susceptible mind brought in contact with the miracle and mystery of the universe cannot but recognize the working of infinite power. To him who learns thus to interpret its teachings, all nature becomes illuminated. The world is a lesson book, life a school. The unity of man with nature and with God, the universal dominion of law, the results of transgression cannot fail of impressing the mind and molding the character. These are lessons that our children need to learn. To the little child not yet capable of learning from the printed page, or of being introduced to the routine of the schoolroom, nature presents an unfailing source of instruction and delight. The heart not yet hardened by contact with evil is quick to recognize the presence that, per that pervades all created things. The ear, as yet undulled by the world's clamor, is attentive to the voice that speaks through nature's utterances. And for those of older years, 
needing continually its silent reminders of the spiritual and eternal, nature's teaching will be no less a source of pleasure and instruction. As the dwellers in Eden learned from nature's pages, as Moses discerned God's handwriting on the Arabian plains and mountains, and the children of Jesus on the hillsides of Nazareth, so the children of today may learn of him. The unseen is illustrated by the seen. On everything upon the earth, from the loftiest tree of the forest to the lichen that clings to the rocks, from the boundless ocean to the tiniest shell on the shore, they may behold the image and superscription of God. Um, my notes for this slide are gone. <laughs> um, this is from Child Guidance, also by Ellen White, on page 46. It says, Many illustrations from nature are used by the Bible writers. And as we observe the things of the natural world, we may be enabled, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, more fully to understand the lessons of God's word. In the natural world, God has placed in the hands of the children of men the key to unlock the treasure of his word, the treasure house of his word. The unseen is illustrated by the seen. Divine wisdom, eternal truth, and infinite grace are understood by the things that God has made. Now, I feel like this is also a necessary point to make. Um, this is Ellen White in the Ministry of Healing, page 413. It says, God's handiwork in nature is not God himself in nature. The things of nature are an expression of God's character and power, but we are not to regard nature as God. The artistic skill of human beings produces very beautiful workmanship, things that delight the eye, and things that reveal to us something of the thought of the designer. But the thing made is not the maker. It is not the work but the workman that is counted worthy of honor. So while nature is an expression of God's thought, it is not nature but the God of nature that is to be exalted. And I think this is a big point, especially in today's society. And if you start like digging and researching like curriculums for outdoor education or getting into, like researching into that area, you will find a lot of that where people start to worship nature itself. And there's a very, very fine line to walk and to teach our children. But it's very important to remember that nature is not God. God created nature for us as a tool, but don't take it too far. All right, so we have to train our brains. I love this. As, um, when I was going through school to be a teacher, this was a big thing that, that we talked about in a lot of classes, is training our brains how to do something. Um, I don't know how many of you have tried to learn something new recently. It's not always easy. Um, and I think we undervalue what our kids are doing in school, too, because they go every day, and they're learning new things every day. How many new things are you learning? And how does it make you feel? Um, but this is something that's well worth learning. So train your brain how to find those lessons from God in nature. So first we pray and we ask God for guidance. Always start there. When you ask the Holy Spirit to be with you and to reveal things to you, you will be amazed at the world that is opened up for you. Use a concordance. I have a shelf right inside my house which we have our nature basket on. We'll talk about that in a minute. A concordance and a Bible. Um, so when you're trying to find scriptures related to different things, 
like the verses that we went through a few minutes ago with the pictures, I pull out a concordance, and let's say I'm looking at a rock. How many Bible verses are there about rocks? Can I find a promise to memorize, to tie to this rock, so that every time I see a rock, a Bible promise comes to my head? That's a, that's a great tool. Um, use a Google search. Sometimes that's easier than using a concordance because somebody's done the hard work for you. Just Google Bible verses about gardening, Bible verses about clouds, and you'll come up with a list. Have family worship outdoors. Grow a garden. I love this one. Um, and I do think that when you're on your knees digging in the dirt, I don't know. I don't know what it is about all of that, but the spiritual lessons are very much there. Practice make, making nature nuggets as a family. This is something that we can work into our family worship. It's a great idea for family worship. We keep a basket. I like my illustrations here. Um, we keep a basket by our front door because my children like to bring nature inside. And we'll, <laughs> um, like, really like to bring nature inside. That's a porcupine skull on my living room chair. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, they like to bring all of their findings inside, and they like to decorate my house with them. And I really like a clean house, but we, we tolerate it. Sometimes it's for a few days. No, I mean like we, we line the perimeter of the house with rocks, or we like put shells on every flat surface in the house, or we bring tree branches. I, I've stopped with the tree branches because that's a little too much. Um, or my oldest likes to make bouquets of the leaves that he picks off of trees, and they sit on our kitchen table <laughs> for days at a time. Nature will make its way into your house if you let your children explore in nature. And I've learned to be okay with that. We try to keep, when we're not doing construction projects like we are right now, they have a nature shelf that all of their nature can go on their shelf. It's a large shelf, and it keeps it contained so that it's not, you know, for me to trip over when I'm going to the bathroom in the middle of the night, or a porcupine skull to sit on, or whatever. Um, but find places for them to do that. But we keep, oh, my computer's not working now. We keep a basket by the front door for them to put their little treasures in. And then sometimes for family worship, we grab that basket and they say, okay, what kind of Bible promises can we find with the treasures you brought inside? Um, and so that's a great thing to do for family worship. And then we like leave them sitting around, and sometimes they get moved around, and sometimes they get brought back outside. But it's just a, it's an ever-changing thing. And my kids know when they bring nature in, it goes in their nature basket for us to talk about, or on their nature shelf, usually. Or on the living room chair, you know. <laughs> um, and then spend time in nature with your children outdoors and talk to them about the things you notice and help them make those connections. Um, but our takeaway, why is it important to get my kids outdoors? What can I do to facilitate a desire to learn outside? And how do I teach them to connect to their creator outdoors? Hopefully we covered all those things. Um, questions? I think we have a microphone to, to do questions. Um, just a quick question on the amount of time the four or five or six hours outside. I'm just trying to think in my daily schedule, like, you know, I guess you just move everything outside and try to fit that time in. I just, yeah. it seems unreasonable. I don't know. Yeah, it's a lot, um, especially if, if your kids are going to school. Um, 
I think Meals Outside is a great option. I think um, after school, playing outside also is, is great. And if they're in childcare, like maybe that's harder even. Um, but asking wherever they're in childcare, hey, can they just go outside as much as possible? I know we don't always have control over our children's schedules, and that's hard. The other thing is make up for it in the summer. When they are not in school, put them outside. Go camping. Camping? You're spending like, you go camping for three days, you're, you're outside for a long time, right? Um, and tent camping is, is rough for some people, but they're outside even more. Um, let's, let's just avoid, you know, I remember as a, um, <clears throat> as a teenager going camping, camping in a camper, and um, my siblings and my cousins and I would try to sit inside and watch TV while we were at the campground. Um, that didn't go over well. Our parents kicked us outside, and that's good, and that's exactly what parents should do. So if you're camping with your kids, which I think you should, um, make sure that they're actually, you know, appreciating the outdoors and not hanging out in their tent texting or sitting in front of a TV in an air-conditioned camper because it's too hot. Guess what? You won't melt. Drink some water. Go play. <laughs> we have another... Oh, yeah, April to October. Yes, outside. I was just adding that the, um, the context of the four, five, six hours was April to October. Yes. Um, right, so I think that gives me some grace as a parent, too, because obviously when it's dark at 5 o'clock at night in the winter and, there's, and your kids are in school, I mean, there are these different seasons, and I know about the 1,000 hours, Absolutely. and you're like, get as much as you can. Right. And, and let's be real, we live in Michigan, at least probably most of us do. And so I don't know where you all live. Um, I live far north, and we have a lot of days where there's not a lot of light, it's very cloudy, and it snows a lot, like a lot, a lot, and it's single digits for weeks on end. And with little ones, like, you can't go outside for three hours a day, but we try to do 20 or 30 minutes in the morning and 20 or 30 minutes at night. And you know what? When I was keeping track... Sometimes it would be a half an hour a day for a whole month, but then we made it up for it in the summer, where in the summertime we're outside from 6 o'clock in the morning till 8 o'clock at night. Well, guess what? I'm, I'm more than balancing out my 30 minutes in January. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's, they're just guidelines, they're suggestions, and you obviously you do what works for you, what works for your family. Yes. So we have three boys. Our middle boy has been stung a couple times by bees and now is deathly afraid of bees. Um, to the fact, to the point where if he sees any flying object in the near vicinity, he runs for the inside. And there are tears. And there is shaking. And there, is there, is there any tips or tricks on how to be able to get this child to overcome this fear? Yeah. I was just going to say I had the same thing. Uh, my daughter stepped in a hole, and I think it was some kind of uh, underground bees, and they were all over her, and I literally had to grab them, like, off of her. And whatever bee that, like, <laughs> um, she was like that maybe a year or two. I don't know how long it was, but it did eventually go away. I don't, yeah. I, I mean, it does, so I don't have this same situation. Uh, my youngest fell in a fire last year and it wasn't his fault it wasn't anyone's fault we were at a camp we were at the adventurer camp out uh-huh that was my child everyone's heard of him um 
Yeah. So what happened, there was a little, he was sitting in a chair by the fire, we were making breakfast, and everything that could have gone right did in the situation, which sounds insane. But there was miracle after miracle. Um, but his, he was sitting in a chair, and nobody had noticed that there was just a tiny little hole in the ground by the fire pit. And when he went to stand up, his chair flipped over, and he fell in. Um, but thankfully, wood had just been added. I had just gotten water because I was making breakfast. Um, one of our good friends who was there with us at the camp out was right there and pulled him out fast. It was less than eight minutes from when I had looked at my watch before um, starting breakfast to when I was standing in the ER in Grayling. Uh, but my husband's a, my husband's medical, and the people we were with were medical. Like like I said, I mean, within eight minutes, we had that child stripped, poured with cold water, wrapped in a towel. Wounds were like flushed, gauze was wrapped, and we were at the ER. Um, but he was terrified of fires, understandably, for a long time, um, and. Uh, Mom was a little bit too. <laughs> um, I'm definitely like more like watching for things around fireplaces than I've ever been. But what we what we've done is I just went with him, and every time we've been around a fire, like I just hold him and I just let him. You know, it's okay. Mommy's right here. I'm not gonna let you fall in the fire again. Um, and it's been less than a year, and he's he's very wise about fires now and very careful, but. That fear isn't there anymore. I mean, a little bit, but not the the terrified because the first couple of months after it happened, I mean, you couldn't get him from here to that exit sign of a fire, and now he'll sit in my lap at a fire. And so I think it's just you know being patient when they've had those traumatic experiences, like you know, like bee stings or falling a fire, just like being there with them and and just continuing. It's I get frustrated with stuff like that sometimes. Like, come on, just, it's not a big deal. Like, it's a bee. It's a fly probably half the time. Like, you're fine. But um, I think it. I think it's a, it's a hard balance between, like, you're going to be just fine. Like, you're going to get through this. It's, it's, even if you do get stung again, you'll still be okay. Like, it'll hurt for a few minutes and you'll be fine. And having those conversations with them, but also, like, but I'm right here, okay, and we're going to do this together. So I don't, I don't know if that helps at all, but that's, you know, I think most parents have something that their child has this, this fear of, and it's just a matter of, of being there with them and pushing them through it. Gently pushing them through it, but yes, um, over here. So I'm curious, um, with you guys going outside and connecting things to God, um, I worked as a nanny, so I guess I didn't really we did a lot of like free play outside mm -hmm. um, in January too for four hours a day because why not? No bad weather. Um, but where do you find the balance of just free play and connecting things to God? Do you have specific times that you guys look for object lessons or are you constantly just bringing up lessons as they play? Right. That's a great question. Thank you. Um, I think one thing is not to overdo it. I remember being a teenager and my mom making an object lesson out of everything. And it drove me nuts. And it will probably drive your teenagers nuts, too. And you know what? That's okay. They can get over it. Um, but also not, not doing it so much that it, you're beating a dead horse or that you're, you know, making it a drag. Um, so we aren't, we don't do this all the time. We do the baskets 
for worship here and there. Um, and then we just try to make them authentic moments. Um, and so when I was in school, we called them teachable moments. Find a time where, like, your kids are asking questions about something and you're researching it, and when those connections happen, because they do, they come naturally, just be really intentional about pushing it through. And if you're finding that they're not happening intentionally, because it's not something that you've learned how to do yet, then then make it purposeful, but make it like maybe we just do one a day. So we're outside for just throwing out examples. If we're outside for three hours, we spend 10 minutes working on an object lesson, and they spend two hours and 50 minutes playing. You know, balance it. Let them do the exploring. Let them come up with the object lessons. My kids do it by themselves. Mom, this makes me think of whatever. Because um, they learn it too, and then they're looking, and they're excited. Or let them say, hey, um, tonight I want you to do family worship, and I want you to find a nature nugget while you're outside. They'll do it, and they come up with some very creative things sometimes. <laughs> so. All right. Um, I'm going to have prayer, and then Gail has an announcement. So do you want me to pray, or do you want to just... Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and for this time that we've been able to spend together. Um, as we go from here, help us to just learn to be more intentional with our children. Help us to um, just focus and to set our priorities and to really focus on you and how we can train our children to serve and honor you. We love you. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 22 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts.